0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jared Causey, and you are listening to Causey's Conversations. I hope you've had a great week so far. I know the weekend is about to start, um, and I hope that you're able to uh, gather together with your local church this Sunday and wherever you go to church, wherever that church home is. Um, and this this particular episode that you're listening to has a lot to do with the local church, a lot to do with it. And um, in fact. Um, I have a good friend of mine, a fellow student at Southwestern, here with me, John Gray. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Good, good. Um, John is a student at Southwestern, and you are a Ph.D. student, correct? Yes, sir. I am officially a Ph.D. candidate now. I've uh, completed qualifying
1: exams, which means I'm uh, ABD, all but dissertation. Uh, There you go.
0: And that was, you just wrapped up the seminar Portion. I did last semester was my last uh, semester for seminars. Right, this semester yeah. has been
1: preparation for those qualifying exams. Uh, so by God's good. grace, I've now completed that phase of the journey.
0: Good, good. I know, I know. For, I've heard the PhD program is very rigorous. Um, I'm not sure if if this school in particular is more rigorous than others. I'm, I'm sure you can speak to that a little bit more than me. So. Is it, is it a pretty tough... Uh... It is a rigorous
1: program, a lot of reading, a yeah. lot of writing. Um, I know with the qualifying exams in the School of Church Music, yeah. and we're the only school at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary that still requires both written and oral right. qualifying exams. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, we, we definitely want to keep the uh,
0: quality of the program right. uh, and the, the yeah. proper amount of rigor. So what you're saying is the music program is the hardest. I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say I, that. That yeah. wouldn't be fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, I know we met. We met in the dorms. Actually, you are living. You are living in the dorms still, correct? I am still roaming those halls. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hundred-year-old voice. Hundred-year-old. <laughs> Hundred year uh, yes. years. Nineteen thirteen. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even know the the year. I, I mean, I knew it was, you know, about 100 years, but it's actually more than 100 years. Right. Uh, so, that's uh that's uh, that's crazy. So, but um yeah, we met we met in the dorms. Um, I remember I don't remember exactly how we met per se. I think we met maybe in the TV room, likely. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, probably discussions about reformed right. theology and, you know, worship, church, you know, Oh, I like to discuss a lot of things. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. And that's good. That's good. I know a lot of a lot of people here enjoy discussion, and and you're not you're not much different from from those folks. Um, and I do too, so I'm, I'm right along with you. Um, so uh, before we get into our our topic today, what we're going to be really talking about, me and you. Um, uh, the books fell. Ah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Those weren't your books, were they? Okay. All good. All good. We're going to edit that out. <laughs> we're just, just going to keep going. Yeah, we're just going to keep going. Um, so uh, you're from Mississippi, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. We're at Mississippi. Well, I was born in a
1: small town uh, <coughs> called Indianola, Mississippi in the Delta, and I was raised in the northwest corner um, in South Haven and Hernando, Mississippi. All right. Um Went to college at Mississippi College. Uh, it's in the central part of the state, uh, in Clinton, Mississippi, close to Jackson. Um, so, uh, born bread and buttered Mississippian.
0: Right there you go. Well, um, I know Mississippi is very close to Louisiana, so we're, we're we were neighbors in the state uh, state uh, wise. We're, we're we're neighbors there. So, um, the the college you went to though, it's a B- it was a Baptist college, correct? It's a Baptist affiliated college. Okay.
1: So, yeah, it, more moderate, and it's understanding, though it's Mississippi moderates. So, right, right. It'd be more conservative than a school such as Baylor. Gotcha, yeah,
0: yeah. Baylor's pretty pretty liberal, so I would, I would say pretty, pretty liberal. Um, yeah, uh, Louisiana College, I don't know if you've heard of Louisiana College. I yeah, uh, they used to play some football,
1: and uh, that's right. I remember okay. having pizza with their band one time. Oh, so. there
0: you go. You were in the band.
1: I was in the band, as oh, okay. well as choir, and there there was you one go. semester I was in four different ensembles. So. Oh
0: wow, that's that's <laughs> awesome! So you were in band. You um, you went to Mississippi College. You're from Mississippi, but you're here in Texas uh, studying for your PhD. Did you get your MDiv here?
1: I've got. I received a MM in church music, okay. music ministry concentration.
0: Okay. Um, graduated with that in 2016. Gotcha. So you've been here how long? How many years? This is my in sixth year. Gotcha. Gotcha. What what uh, school did you go? To? Did you go to like high school? I went to Hernando High School. Uh, okay. Product yeah. of the public school system. There you go. So public school. Gotcha. So um, what year did you graduate from high school? I'm, I'm, I'm 2009. 2009. Okay, I I forgot exactly when you graduated. I graduated in '11, so a few years after you. Um, and so that that's really cool. Yeah, Louisiana College is pretty close to where I'm from. Actually, it's about an hour hour and a half away from from DeRitter. Um, and just a lot. I mean, we we did a lot in that area. I mean, just a lot of you know, um, you know, a lot of activities surrounded Louisiana College, especially in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, and Louisiana College is pretty conservative, as far as I right. know. I don't know if it still is. I'm actually not sure how they're doing now. Like, I'm, I'm there was a lot of conflict uh, that, was. That, that happened. That was
1: occurring, I think, in the uh, I want to say around 2010.
0: Right. 2012, 2012, 12. It was, it was when I was in college. I was in MacNeese Because I remember, like, when I... So, when when I went to college, they weren't... Like, that stuff has, hasn't happened yet. Mm. Now, I knew that, like, a lot of... Like, there's a lot of Calvinism stuff going on. Like, a- Calvinism, anti-Calvinism stuff. Mm. Like, just... Or when I say anti, I mean, like, Calvinism versus non-Calvinism. Right. Some of them were anti, but, uh, like, a lot of Calvinist professors were fired and stuff. I remember just other things. We're not going to get into that, but I was just, you know, I was kind of curious if you knew about that, because that was a big deal. I remember a lot of friends that were going over there, they, they stopped going there because of it. And so, very unfortunate, but I think they've done pretty well since then, from what I heard. So... I've not
1: kept up much with them. Yeah. I just know them uh, primarily by name.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And ate, ate pizza with the man. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to talk about a really cool topic. Something I'm very, um, very interested in, um, and interested in continuing to learn more about. And that's why you're here, because you know I, I know a good bit about this. What it is, I can explain it to people. But you know, I, I'm still learning. I'm still maybe. I honestly, I haven't really heard. Um, well, we're all in that the process; of yeah. still learning. Sure, um, I haven't heard that many great defenses of this that that much. So maybe this would be a good conversation to have for sure, just for me personally, uh, but hopefully for a lot of people at home. Um, you know, this is a, a topic that will af- that could affect um, if if this topic was was actually worked out throughout your church, it would affect your church dramatically. Most definitely. And so, so uh, the the topic that we're going to be talking about is the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. Um, I on on Facebook yet, uh, today actually I posted a little bit about it. Um, I just posted a video where Ligon Duncan, um, mm-hmm. you know, talked about it. Gave a brief explanation about it. I thought it was good. Um, it was just kind of like a you know kind of a teaser a little bit. Um, I did, I'm not having. Especially in,
1: in Baptist circles, uh, yeah. the regular principle of worship is not very well known. Right. And it's definitely not practiced very often. It's no. definitely a minority position. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think I've
0: ever heard of this doctrine, this, 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 I don't know if you call it doctrine or if you just call it a method or just a principle. This principle, um, maybe, I mean, I was, I was, it was before I, I was here. So it was maybe about two or three years ago. And uh, so I heard it from, uh, I think it was my friend, Jamie Alford. So shout out to Jamie Alford if he's listening. Hopefully he is. He's one of my best friends. So, (laughs) you know. uh, But yeah, he's actually, me and him kind of got into Reformed theology around the same time. Uh, We weren't actually talking as much about it together. We were just like happening to go through the same phase. It's really more prevalent in...
1: Uh, Presbyterian churches, right, so your yeah. OPC and your PCA Presbyterian churches uh, tend to practice the principle more consistently uh, across the denominations, right. though there's still a lot of disputes on how it should be
0: practiced. Exactly. We're going to get into that, too, but real quick, tell tell us, tell me everyone that's listening in this conversation. What is the regulative principle of worship? What is it? Well, I'm going to start with more of a, a broad definition. Sure. You know, it's
1: a real simplistic yeah. definition. So the regulative principle of worship would uh, argue that if it's not prescribed in the New Testament or in scripture, uh, to keep it more broad, if it's not prescribed right. in scripture, then it's prohibited. Okay. Um, It's in contrast to the normative principle of worship, which would argue that if it's not prohibited, it's allowed. It's allowed, yeah. Now, I think also this is a good time to um, explain the normative principle briefly, uh, because a lot of times it's... it's, uh, A lot of people put extra baggage on the normative principle that I don't think is fair. Okay. Um, The normative principle is actually a conservative principle... When uh, practiced in the way that Martin Luther practiced it, Right. or even Thomas Cranmer, if we want to, to go there, um, today I think it it would behoove us to uh, use Dr. Scott Annual's distinction between the normative principle and what he has called the effective principle of worship. Who's Scott Annual? Now, Dr. Scott Annual, he's a uh, the chair of the music ministry department at Southwest Baptist right. Theological yeah. Seminary. He's my uh, advisor, and he. Uses this term to provide a distinction. Uh, the effective principle of worship would uh, would argue that anything that brings the the desired effect, as long as it's not prohibited in Scripture, so if it brings the desired effect, we right. can do it. Where the normative principle would say as long as it's connected to tradition. That's what makes it a conservative principle of worship. So the regulative principle would be a conservative principle, and the normative principle, as espoused by Martin Luther, uh, would be considered a conservative principle. Because it's saying it needs to be prescribed or connected to tradition, where the effective principle is going to be more aberrant or uh, disconnected from tradition. It's simply trying to say... How can we read this desired result? You hear, is the
0: worship effective? Gotcha. Yeah, that's like more pragmatic. Right. Utilitarian. Yeah, yeah. Very pragmatic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, That's that was good. That was really good. Um, Very good distinction there. I think that's important. I'm glad you... I didn't really think about that before we, we had this discussion, but I think it's important that we do uh, give a fair treatment of the normative principle, because even though I don't hold to the normative principle, I, I don't think I do anyway. You might disagree, like, no, you really do in practice or whatever. But, you know, um, I mean, there are still our brothers and sisters in Christ, those and, that hold. This is not a first-tier issue. It's not a gospel issue. It's not an issue that separates salvifically, you know.
1: Right, and I think that also with being fair, I would, as someone that Upholds the regulative principle right. fairly strictly, quite yeah. strictly, right. in it's consider- a consideration to most people today. Yeah, in comparison yeah. to most people today, right. um, I would prefer to go to a church that practices the normative principle as espoused by Luther before a church that practices the effective principle. So it's a it's. There's levels. The, the effective principle when it comes to worship, though these churches may be very doctrinally conservative churches, they may uphold the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, many of them do. Uh, they may fight hard for biblical inerrancy, but their worship practices a lot of times is contradictory to their, uh, their statement of faith. Right, their statement of faith. Because they're. It's not that they're trying to be liberal, but it's that pragmatic, uh, pragmatism that gets in,
0: right? And they, they just um, so like Charles Finney, um, who right. many are—you may or may not be familiar with. You, you, I know you are, but our listeners might not be. Right. Charles, Charles Finney was a big, um, a, a prominent figure in the uh, Second Great Awakening. So, um, or I think we can call it revivalism. Revival, yeah. So last week I did—I shared a quote. Last week, uh, with uh, I was with my friend uh, Grant Keel. He had him on, and we were talking about what's a true movement of God. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about a little bit about Finney. So I'm not going to go over who Finney is right. again, but uh, Finney would be a, a good example of someone that whole. Am I right? There? I would
1: say he uh, he would be an early figure for upholding um, the effective principle. right. That's because his yeah. desire he would desire to bring into the worship or the camp meeting, right? anything that would breed that desired effect, which he wanted people to be brought to repentance. Right, yeah. So he would uh, try to, I would say, manipulate the emotions. I don't think that was his aim, but that's what he did. Yeah. To try to get right. people to want to repent.
0: Yeah, he was trying to, to meet some goal, maybe not even a quota. I don't know if he had quotas. I'm not sure. I know now, I today, I it'd be... I don't know if it surprised you or not, I know churches that have quotas. Right. And yeah. Well, that's that church growth movement. Right. Uh, yeah. Many
1: today will call it seeker-sensitive. But I would say the seeker-sensitive movement is in the lineage of revivalism. Right. So if you take revivalism of the 1800s, and then you say, well, what's the 1980s and 1990s version of that— Right, I think you can say the Secret Service or the Church yeah. Growth Movement, yeah. and that I think you can even uh, see today the Missional Movement has kind of taken that place, which I know is a very controversial statement.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I'm, um, and your your definition of what the Missional Movement is that, that might be a good conversation, maybe a little bit later on right, here. Right. But um, so go yeah, ahead, and I
1: yeah. think with before we get too too off of the the question you asked there about what is the regulative principle right. you know right. I went fairly broad there um if it's okay with you I'd like to maybe read a couple quotes uh, quotations uh one from the um London Baptist Confession right. yep. of uh 1677 okay. um and then also uh from one of my favorite theologians Benjamin Keech the person I hope to do my dissertation on right. um it, that really define clearly what is the regulative principle of worship. Right. Uh, yeah. so is that okay with that? Yeah, you?
0: That's go Go for it.
1: Okay, uh, go. I'm going to start with the, uh, a definition from uh, the London Baptist Confession, and it's actually found in chapter 22 of the Confession, um, and it's the first paragraph. The Confession states, uh, The light of nature shows that there is a God, who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and doth good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, And so limited by his own revealed will, Mm. that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan, under any visible representations, or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. This is a clear explanation of what right. today we would call the regulative principle of worship. Right, they would have called it something more along the lines of maybe primitive purity or something like that. But I think for our purposes, we can say this is a strict understanding of the regulative principle of worship. Uh, it's really clearly uh, stated when it's uh, talking about avoiding the, uh, the imagination and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan... Um, uh, this is often when you look at the early Baptists, yeah. they would say, they would state that they were trying to avoid will worship or human inventions, right? Or innovations. And that's multiple authors that, that uh, would state that. Right. Um. So they would want they wanted to practice the prescriptions found in the New Testament. Now, they debated highly what prescriptions yeah. should be included. Yeah, yeah. What was prescription and what was narrative? Uh, right. Example: Should uh, we sing in the corporate worship service? Uh, was one of them. And another uh, example this laying on of hands. Should we practice laying on of hands? yeah. yeah. Is this a prescription or is this narrative? Right. And so they would right. debate that highly. Yeah, that's um,
0: that's um, and those are all um necessary conversations to have maybe not per se the 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 topic you know like laying on of hands or right. you know or even singing we we we've pretty much every church in america will sing i, I assume right. so um but, but at the same time though you know we have our own discussions in our church that we need to have right. and that's and, and and even if anyone if now, a lot of people might disagree with you mm-hmm. on this. Oh, sure. And and sure. same with me. It's um, a minority position. E- exactly. Most
1: Baptists are going to disagree with, right. Right, with what and, I've
0: and, stated so far. And yes. so I would say, even if you disagree with, with me and John here, it, at the very least, take away from this conversation, we need to consider how we worship in the corporate. So we need to consider very um, carefully, prayerfully, and... Through the lens of Scripture, well, and, and the, re- the regulative principle of worship is one way
1: of applying sola scriptura. Yeah, I, so yeah. it's one application of the sola scriptura. But Martin Luther, who
0: yeah, we would say upheld the normative principle, right. a conservative
1: version of it. That's right. Um, also upheld sola scriptura. So we need to be fair there.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you can you can hold to sola scriptura, but not. Um, necessarily agree with the the, the right. regulative principle of worship, so I'm with you on that. You and because quick, Keach yeah, is my yeah. guy here, and I want, I want to read you know. this uh, quotation from
1: his youth catechism. Keach wrote many uh, catechisms.
0: Now, before we go on uh, a catechism, maybe some folks don't right. know what a catechism. And I know we didn't go over this, but what, how would you define a catechism? Right. it was a tool. It still is used, but yes. it's a
1: tool for teaching primarily children or new believers the uh, doctrine of the church. So um, there have been many catechisms written through the years. Uh, The Westminster Catechism, uh, you've got the Baptist Catechism,
0: um, which is still used. Um, I have a new one right here. It's called the New City Catechism. Right, yeah. say, So it's, it's a tool for teaching doctrine,
1: right. and a lot of times the catechisms will be repeated, so a parent will ask a child a question, yeah, and the child will then give an answer, Given it, yeah. and a lot of times they'll go over it day after day after day, and so you have a child that might be, that may be 12 years old, but knows doctrine better than uh, many people that have, uh, been members of churches for years and years that haven't went through uh, catechisms. Yeah, so go ahead and and share that. This actually comes from Keech's Youth Catechism Um, and the father asks, must nothing be done in the worship of God but what is written in the sacred scripture? And the son answers, no, nothing ought to be done in God's worship by any means but what is written therein. Add thou not to his word, if any man shall add. Um, And then the father asks, But may not that be done in Christ's name or in God's worship, though it be not commanded, if it be not forbidden? And the son states, No, by no means, for that which we have no precept nor precedent for is consequently forbidden. Because all innovations and traditions of men are forbidden. It's a very strong statement that Keech is yeah. uh, making here. If it's not prescribed, it is forbidden for the corporate worship service. Right. And uh, I think that clearly, even though Keats wouldn't use the term regulative principle, it clearly shows a strict adherence to the regulative principle of worship. Right. Uh, a lot of times when we're talking of definition the regulative principle, we miss that there's different aspects to this principle. You have the element, which is uh, either the element of uh, preaching God's word or reading of scripture or prayer or congregational song or giving of offerings, baptism, the Lord's Supper. These are different elements. But you also have forms, right? So the forms are going to be, baptism is one of the clearest examples where we can look at forms. The form of immersion or dipping. Uh, Many churches that would uphold the regulative principle will still practice sprinkling. So they're saying that the the prescription is needed to practice baptism when when it comes to the element of baptism. But with the form we don't necessarily need to have that prescription for the form. Um, So I think that that shows kind of the differing levels of the regulative principle. You also have one other term you'll hear when talking about the regulative principle that I think is important, and that's the term circumstance. So the circumstances, these are aspects that occur, but they're not uh, intended for some type of... uh, Uh, symbol or sign, or uh, it's not meant to uh, teach a message. So, for example, in one church you may sit on pews, in another you may sit on chairs. That's a circumstance. You need somewhere to sit. Um, Another circumstance, uh, maybe something along the lines of,
0: um, you know... uh, What about, uh, let me, can I throw this one out here for you? Sure. Like a hymn book versus a PowerPoint so like the same songs hymn in a book versus on the right. now now I will say that it's a little different because you have the actual notes the the, the keys and, and stuff in the book music you know the hymnal right. book in the and and that's a discussion that I, I think that's another fun discussion whether is, we should yeah. use
1: screens or not um for the text of the hymns and or the hymnal right. book it's, if the reason we have the screens is simply so we can have the text to sing, then it's not an issue necessarily of the regulative principle. Right. It's more an issue of, should we be using hymn books or screen? And that's a topic for another day, because that is a <laughs> rabbit trail I could get on and, and that's talk not, about. That's
0: not in the regulative principle of worship discussion. Right. That's Okay.
1: That, I have other reasons I would argue that. We should be now, using is that a circumstantial?
0: Hymnal. Would you say that's circumstantial? I, I
1: think that that's probably, and, and people would debate this, I think that that's going to be more of a circumstance of or circumstance. How, we're seeing yeah. this, or how we're seeing the text to sing. Right. 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 Okay. Uh, another great uh, example of a circumstance is we need to see. Are we going to use lights? Or are we going to use candles <laughs> to see? You know, we need to be able to see the text if it's dark. I don't think the fire
0: department would appreciate the candles. Right. <laughs> but using, yeah, but
1: no. if, if the candles are being used simply to see, sure. then it's a circumstance. Right. But if the candles are being used for symbolism, such as Advent candles, then we're talking about the normative principle of worship, because we're including something from tradition, Yeah, that's really, and it's added, yeah. but
0: it's not a pra- it would be prohibited according to the regulative principle of worship. That's interesting. Um, that's an example I have not thought of. But I I don't know if I mean so like you know you go to candle uh, candlelit uh, Christmas Eve candlelit service that would be
1: following the normative principle not the regular principle because they have a sign they're trying to say this is like the light of Christ that's come into the world or something like that so it's it's pointing to something else so it's not just being used to see okay all right Um, yeah I I I'm with you I I see what you're saying and. A lot of times today, depending on the church, they may even have something else that makes it more even, uh, or, or uh, even more like the yeah. And we'll get into
0: some more examples of that. So yes. now the question: Now, people listening are probably some of them are like, "Yeah, I've heard this before. I understand your position. I respect it. Disagree." Some people are like, "Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not." Oh my goodness! This is crazy. This is this is legalistic, John. You're yes. legalistic. You know that's and, one of the, the and, easy claims. And and the thing is though is. Legalism is not about a uh, having a certain standard and holding it, holding to it strictly. Being a legalistic person is more of you're holding to a standard that God does not hold to. Right. I would say that, and and you're you're trying to elevate every, you know, trying to hold everyone else to that same standard. Right. And In so, addition
1: to Scripture, instead right. of a, a,
0: just trying to right. hold, this is the guidelines that Scripture has. Right. Described. And so the question would be now is the, uh, the, uh, the Bible does not say anything about a regulative <laughs> principle of yes. worship. does not have that there. Uh, I had a fun—I'm not going to reveal this guy's name, but he was poking fun at me because I put on social media today that you were coming on to talk about this, and then he asked—just he, poking fun—he said, so does the regulative principle of worship even hold to the regulative principle of worship? <laughs> like, so like, do you get—I don't yep. know if you get that, but like, you yep. know, does— Is that even in Scripture? Is that, you know... um... I think that we see both explicitly the concept
1: taught in the regulative principle in Scripture, and we also see it implicitly. Okay. So uh, there's definitely passages that I think guide this understanding of the regulative principle. Right. Um, Whether explicitly or implicitly, like I said. Uh, So some of these passages, I'm guessing that's... That's where you're gonna. Uh,
0: yeah, if we want to go into that, there's one in particular that I'm I personally go to. There's right. actually a few, but there's one I wanted to touch on. But right. if you want to, um, what what are what are some passages you go to? But what go
1: on? Yeah, so I think that it's a, a good place to start here with the uh, passages of scripture for the regulative principle of worship that I go to that either show implicitly or explicitly. Right. Uh, one of the great ones is the Ten Commandments, right? specifically the second commandment. So the Ten Commandments, being moral law, they continue still today. They haven't been, uh, you know, uh, forgotten or, uh, com- uh, you know, uh, completed passed, away. And yeah, passed yeah. away. They're not passed away. They continue because they're moral law. So both the first commandment and the second commandment uh, are moral law, as well as the other uh, eight commandments. But... The first commandment, I would say, it speaks to whom we shall worship. We should worship, right? And right. the second commandment speaks how we should worship God. Right? So uh, the second commandment. Um, I'll go ahead, Uh, it's it's found in uh, Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol or uh, any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments." It's showing, especially if we understand in context here, that not making an idol, when you understand that the Canaanites and the Egyptians, they would have idols, right? So, not making a graven image is saying, don't worship, I would argue, is saying, don't worship in the way that these pagans worship. Don't make an idol yeah. of God. Yeah. We don't need that icon. If anything, man being made in the image of God, man is the icon and it's a, really the image of God is most uh, clearly seen in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a strong argument to say that the second commandment is pointing to how we should and should not worship God, that we should follow his prescriptions of worship, uh, worship. He's God. He initiates the worship. He can tell us how to worship. We need to follow his commands. Um, I think another uh, passage that's really clear is when we see the golden calf in right? So this happens really uh, shortly after uh, leaving Egypt. Yeah. And the uh, Israelites, they decide they want to build a calf out of uh, all this golden jewelry and uh, rings, and they're worshipping this golden calf. Now the question becomes, are they worshipping another god, or are they worshipping Yahweh in a way that he is not prescribed? I would argue that this the primary uh, problem is that they're they're worshipping Yahweh in the way that the Egyptians would worship their gods. So building a golden calf would be showing a sign of strength. Because that was a way that the Egyptians would have
0: shown a sign of strength—it's
1: like the calf or the ox. Yeah,
0: and what you're saying there—I've heard a lot of people say it's a popular way of interpreting it. I've interpreted it that way. I've gone back and forth, but I, I agree with you. I would—I would say I would interpret it that way, pretty much. I'm—I'm I'm pretty confident in that too. So I—I I, I think that's a good explanation.
1: And so that's one of the one of the Old Testament examples, uh, and there was great consequences, you know. Uh, a lot of people ended up dying. They had to drink yeah. the gold. A lot of consequences from not following how God had commanded them to worship. Right, right. I think another really clear example of uh, of not following God's commands and having a consequence for not doing that in worship is seen in uh, Nadab and Abihu. Oh, yeah. Right? That's, uh, so. so Leviticus 10, uh, verse uh, 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron... Took the respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Stop right there. Strange fire that was not commanded. Right. Meaning that God had commanded them how? To worship To, to worship yeah. there. And they, for some reason, went yeah. against that commandment. Um, and fire came from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord the consequences seen, they were consumed, they were killed because of their not following the commands. It's a serious thing to not to not follow God's commands in worship. And I yeah. think a lot of times we take it nonchalant. We we um, think, oh, well, as long as it's not um, hurting somebody or as long as it's not clearly stated as a sin, then we can practice it. Right, right. right. Well... Nate having a who here. Uh, we have no reason to think that they meant
0: to uh, sin against sin God. against God. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's not they. Fair. They were. Yeah, you would have to read into it either way, and I, I. I prefer not to read into the
0: text, but we know they did not follow the command of God, right. And how they should right. worship there. So, um. So do you have do you have any more passages from the Old Testament? Or? Yeah, I do. Oh, go ahead. Um, go ahead.
1: So. Also, when you're looking at uh, the Old Testament, you can take uh, the story of uh, Hophni and Phineas, right? Uh, 1 Samuel 2, 12-17, it's speaking of their sins, and, and they're despi- they despised the offering of the Lord. Right. Because the way that they were eating of the, uh, the offering before the fat was burned off, uh, it went against... prescriptions found in Leviticus 3, 3 through 5 and 16, uh, but they also went against uh, the the prescriptions found in Leviticus 7, 29 through 34. So it was considered wicked. They were considered wretched men. They were scoundrels, right? Um, Yeah. So we see their punishment. They end up being killed in battle, right. and the Ark of the Covenant is lost. Right. So there's severe consequences for them not following God's command. Now, granted, they were sinful men in general, so I could see how someone argued from the Normative Principle or something else could, could right. try to poke yeah. holes in this and say, well, it's more that they were just sinful men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you see that they're not following the commands of God. Um, Deuteronomy 12.32 States whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not uh, add to nor take away from it. Now, the, we also see other passages of ta- uh, where um, the importance of not adding to God's commandments or taking away from it is right. seen. Uh, we see that in Proverbs thirty-five through six, Deuteronomy four-two, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this concept of not adding to the commandments.
0: Of God, right? Um, I think if we want a New Testament example, right? So I was going to get to that in a second, but yeah, go
1: for it. So John four twenty two, right? So in John four, we have the, uh, Christ uh, talking to the woman at the well, the there, Samaritan yeah. woman. Uh, it's a great story. When it comes to worship, it's a very important story because <laughs> right. it's talking about how worship would be, in spirit, and truth, it's showing the di- dialogical communion between God and his people, that element of worship. Uh, but in... I, I'm actually going to turn to this passage because I think yeah, that go we, can, we can sit here and uh, 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 on this passage for a little bit and discuss it because yeah. it, I think it's really a great example from the New Testament here.
0: Yeah, um, you know, the, um, one passage, um, while you're turning there, I can just, uh, it's a pretty popular passage, but it's Second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first, is it first or second? Timothy? 3.16? Yeah. All uh, scriptures breathed out by yeah, God. Second, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, that passage yeah. in a second, but go yeah. ahead
1: and read that. So in John chapter 4, uh, verse 22, we have... Um, that's John five. No wonder it didn't read the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great passage as well. But yeah, not yeah. what I'm looking for right now. Right. I'm actually going to start in verse twenty one. Go for it. Uh, yeah. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in uh, this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." <clears throat> So, the Samaritan woman asked Christ, you know, whether or not the worship practices were okay of the Samaritans. They were worshiping on Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Right. And Christ says, no, you're worshiping what you do not know. You're worshiping in a way that is not correct. You're worshiping in the wrong place. It had been prescribed that you need to worship on Mount Zion, not on Mount Gerizim. It's the wrong place. For worship. Then he goes into that great text, you know, of, uh, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But the point with the, the regular principle is we see there is, there, there was a right place to worship in Hebrew worship, and it was Mount Zion, not Mount Gerizim. Right, right. So the Samaritans were not following the prescriptions of God there um, and Christ called that out now he's not he was also saying that a new worship was coming a worship in spirit
0: and in truth right, right. Uh, which is is powerful but that's uh, another topic for another day yeah yeah spirit and in truth yeah for sure um so uh that was that was good uh, some good passages uh for sure there um but I wanted to turn uh real quick to first uh First Timothy, real quick here. Yes. Um, First Timothy three sixteen. Um, got to type it here. Um, I'm sorry. Is it Second Timothy? Is it se- it's 2 is Tim- it's Second Timothy three sixteen. Right, right. Okay. I'm um, I'm not on my game today. Uh, it's it's easy to mistake them for sure. Um. So it says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work. So a lot of people use this use this passage kind of for like to to kind of um kind of the proof text for sola scriptura, which I would agree, I would agree, but in you, you like you said earlier the sola scriptura is a good basis for the regulative principle of worship and I would say here
1: but, but also being fair the normative principle also would Right. where well, they would agree ...just yeah. sola scriptura. So it's not the only argument, but I think that also we need to go back a little bit before that for context, because I think that'll also help to bring in when you, when you uh, understand from verse 14 there. You, however, continue, Paul talking to Timothy here, speaking to Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, this is key here, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to the salvation through faith. Which is in Christ Jesus, then it goes to the all Scripture is God breathed. Right. So setting that in
0: context, I think helps to show from childhood Timothy was being taught yeah, yeah. the truths of Scripture. Right. right. Yeah. So I mean, so, yeah, for sure, definitely, Timothy was was trained uh, through the means of studying Scripture. Scripture right. was the basis for everything that mm-hmm. he did. Why is Scripture? or well, Why shouldn't Scripture be the basis for our worship, our corporate worship? And that's where. Right this all leads me to is that scripture is our basis everything that we do in our life mm-hmm. how we live the Christian life in faith um, is comes from the source of scripture I mean scripture is supreme now there uh, people would argue that there are other sources of truth including you know logic and all of that we're not going to get into that right. today well, but I, I think also when we're
1: talking about scripture being the guide for our worship if if it's God that initiates our worship. Yes, that's important. Right. If God's the one that initiates our worship, then who are we to try to worship in a way that we see fit? Right. I mean, when God has given us the ordinary means of grace in Scripture. Right. He's told us how to worship Him, so why do we think that we need something else?
0: Right. So, I mean, that I agree with you. I mean, like, I think everyone should at least agree that, that God does care how he is worshipped. And I think also when we're looking at scripture, another question that a pastor,
1: elder, overseer has to think about, ponder right. upon, is if a congregate comes to them and asks them, why did we light the Advent candle? I'm burdened by yeah. this. It's burning my conscience. Why did we light the Advent candle? Right. And as a pastor, elder, overseer, you don't have a text to go to. If we know all scriptures, God breathed. What are you going to go to? You don't have text for that. You can't support it. You have burdened their conscience without reason, and that's a serious thing for a pastor to consider. Yeah. If I'm burdening the con- the congregants. Uh, conscience, without reason for... If they say, well, why were we praying? I have scripture I can go to for that. If they say, why are we preaching the text? Why is your sermon an hour and a half long? (laughs) I can still go there. Well, you know, I mean, we have both prescription and narrative, right? Showing that. Which, by the way, I, I meant to mention this earlier, and we're talking about the differing levels of the regulative principle right you have some that will say the more the, the more strict adherents will say that we need a prescription from the New Testament and the New Testament alone. Then there's other regulative principle uh, adherents that would say well we need a prescription from the New Testament and the or the Old Testament right So that provides prescriptions. Then you've got even a, another that's a little more lenient that'll say, well, it needs to be prescription or narrative from the New Testament, or prescription or narrative right. from the New Testament and Old Testament. So there's differing levels there with right. how strict you right. want, uh, I mean, want to um, yeah. uphold it. What
0: do you hold to? What,
1: like what? I would hold to the strictest form in that way. And now there's other things where... And what is that? Free. But I would believe that we need to, or I do believe, that we need to uphold uh, only what is prescribed in the New Testament in our corporate corporate worship, these ordinary means of grace, the simple means of grace. I believe there's seven elements that need to be in our worship services. And those seven elements um, are preaching of God's word, reading of God's word, prayer, congregational song, uh, the Lord's Supper, um, baptism and giving of offerings. I don't believe that giving of tithes is prescribed in the New Testament.
0: Right. That's a So the giving yeah, of offerings that's a good for two main reasons. Many. Yeah.
1: the minister's maintenance as well as missions. Those are the two reasons.
0: Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's good. So, all right, we looked at we looked at scripture. Honestly, I think you've you've given a lot of good verses there. Um. Do you, I just before we move on, I want to make sure. Do you have any other verses you wanted to? Oh,
1: let me let me make sure.
0: I th- I think that was most uh, okay. Most gotcha. of them. So I think we can go ahead. And yeah, move that's on. fine. Yeah, I, that's I, good. Get... I think that's a that's a good a good amount there. Um, you've given some from the old and New Testament, and that's what I was hope. I'm glad you did because if you brought just some from the Old Testament, you know what people will say. Oh, they'll exactly. say, yeah, they'll be like, oh well, I'm the need, you know, we just followed, you know, the New Testament, and all that. So. But uh, we're not going to go all Andy Stanley on anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, so, you know, um, the the hardest part about this is not necessarily even defining it. Now, there is some trouble in there in, in defining it. It's not even, I think, personally um, looking at Scripture. That's not the hardest right. part either. Because we can look in Scripture. It's there. There's, right. there's some clear, I think, clear portrayals of this principle there, mm-hmm. in, in my humble opinion. Right. Now... The hardest part about this, in my opinion, where I struggle with, is how does this look in the local church? Exactly. And that's where we need to go to, I think, um, because a lot of people are going to be like, okay, fine, I agree with you. This principle is good. It's biblical. We should hold to this principle. But how do I know what my church, my pastor, my congregants are doing in the corporate service is prescribed? And what does that look like? How, you know, I'm going to... Well, throw this is a, some of yeah. the
1: difficulty in application, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the early Baptists because they staunchly upheld what I believe today we would call the regulative principle. Both the general Baptist and the particular Baptist upheld the regulative right. principle. Um, and in application, they even had debates. So, for example, uh, a lot of the early uh, the set, early 17th century Baptists didn't believe in congregation... that. Congregational song was sung song. Some believed it was singing in the spirit. Some believed that it was only solo singing
0: and oh, not congregational. Okay.
1: Uh, so then you have the debate well, if it's solo singing, some will say it needed to be sporadic solo singing, you know, uh, or spontaneous solo singing. Um, Charismatics would love you know, that. <laughs> okay. But the question then becomes well, sh- does it have to be congregational or does it? Can it be solo singing? Keach would have said that it had to be congregational singing. Right. Uh, where Sneed would have said, "Well, no, it can only be solo singing. It can't be congregational singing." Right. So there was a dis, and they both sh- strictly upheld what we would call the regular right principle today. Right. I would argue there there may be some that would try to debate that, but would right. be a fun uh, yeah. disputation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then you had questions of, well, is it psalm singing only, or yeah. is yeah. it hymnody? Well. Part of that goes to how do we understand Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, but not to get too bogged down there, If let's say that if it's only words of Scripture that, that we can sing, mm-hmm. then why is it not only words of Scripture that we can preach, or only words of Scripture that we can uh, pray? Right. So he used that argument. He was very consistent, saying we can sing hymns, just like a preacher can expound upon a text. Right. As long as these hymns are biblical. Right, they're rude. Or yeah. uh, as long as we, we can, if we're going to say we can't sing hymns, we also have to say that everything you pray has to be a quotation of Scripture. Everything you preach has to be a quotation of Scripture.
0: Right. So there
1: was some dispute there on hymnody or psalmody. Then one today that would cause a lot of problems is where's the prescription for instruments in the New Testament? You know, and so Benjamin Keech and most of the early Baptist would say, "No, you can't use instruments. It has to be solos, or it has to be uh, uh, a cappella singing." Right. Now, I personally think that if we understand Psalm to be uh, biblical poetry plucked with a stringed instrument, and that making melody in Ephesians five nineteen, uh, if that if that tends to point to instrumental music, so that yeah. those are the two main arguments I would use for. Prescription for instruments,
0: yeah. and so so. But the Old Testament is full of instruments,
1: right? But if you hold, that's if you hold to a broader view of the regular principle, that you can use Old Testament, Old Testament prescriptions, right, as someone that holds to the new, uh, the
0: more narrow. Right. View, yeah, uh, it I used gotcha. To be a New
1: Testament prescription. I can't use that.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I understand. That's that's kind of what I thought you were you're going what road you're going to go down. That I understand. So I've heard that before. Actually, that you know, uh, in fact, in, in in my church history class. My professor actually talked about the regulative principle of worship, right. and um, he appreciates it. I will say that right. he very much respects it. Said it's good, and the church needs to not be so caught up in that principle to like hold to it so strictly. But he said we right. should look at that and 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 model our our worship after that, mm-hmm. which I think was really good. And and I mean I, I would probably go a little bit further than him for sure. Right. Um, but you know he said if you but if you're gonna be a strict you know, regulative guy or gal, you're going to have to be a, pretty much psalm only. You have to, and that's and I was like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, when, there's a peach would disagree, and I would disagree <laughs> too. And um, you know, in in love and respect, I, this is a great professor. I'm not going to mention him, but he's just a great uh, one of my favorite professors here. But he um, and it's okay to disagree with the professor well, for sure. For sure, sure. um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, there's a passage where it talks about remind me where it's at. It talks about spiritual songs. Right, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Now, if yeah, anyone those. tries to... That's
1: Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, okay. the passages I just referenced. Um, those passages, they do mention psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But the, the, the difficulty here is, if someone claims, without a shadow of a doubt, that psalms means this, and psalms are pretty clear speaking of the psalms, the psalms but yeah. if hymns mean um, these... Extra biblical hymns in the middle of, uh, or that in the model of the Old Testament type thing, or whatever they want to say there, or uh, spiritual songs or are new inventions and choruses. The thing is, is that anybody that says this is what this means, and I know for sure it means this, they don't know what they're talking about. We really don't but, know for yeah.
0: sure. But what we they can mean. we can know that. Can we at least know this? Let me ask you. Can we at least know this? That that is basically saying that it's not just limited. To Psalms, the Psalms. No, we can't we, say we that. don't think so? Okay. We can't say that. Um,
1: so, uh, G.K. Bill makes a strong argument that Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are three different types of Psalms found in the Psalter.
0: Oh, okay. And he right. argues,
1: okay. that he goes into the, the linguistics. I think he makes a strong argument there. Um, I would encourage people to look that up. Actually, I think it's probably the strongest argument for what the distinctions are, but still, I'm not. Willing to make a, a claim that for sure this means that hymns mean this and spiritual songs mean that, um, but I do think that the strongest argument I've heard is that it's three different
0: types of psalms. Okay, okay, that's that's that was my question because I knew there was probably a argument there because I know that there are people that argue only for the psalter um, using only songs from the psalter, the, the you know psalm, right. um, and so which is fine. I I understand that. I mean, honestly, if that's and to be fair, yeah. it, it it
1: seems to me to be the strongest argument. And I'm, I'm yeah. trying to use the proper hedging there because, seems, like yeah. I said, it's it's difficult, and anyone that makes too strong of a claim, claim I yeah. would be cautious
0: of. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, in, in that particular passage. Okay, gotcha. Or um, those two
1: particular passages. Yeah.
0: So now going this now this is going a little bit past the New Testament canon. Yes. Yeah. So um,
1: when you're talking about the the application is that what you're back to Well with? I was
0: actually about to say, you know, um, kind of going along that same lines. Now, did the early church, I'm talking about early early on, right. do you know I, I, I don't know this off the, and so if you don't know, we can we can table this and maybe look into it later, right? But I wonder did the early church, I mean like Acts right. even past Acts a little well, bit and we, and we see that there was some
1: in like the Didache or right. in Justin Martyr's apology, they're talking about certain things and and uh, you know, bringing uh, the the singing on the Lord's Day and things like that, we get tidbits, but I'm not willing to say that they yeah. for sure upheld what we today would call the regulative principle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've not done enough research right. in the patristics and, and that's not, uh, to, yeah. to say without a shadow of a doubt yeah. they did, but I do know that if we're looking at these early documents, um, it's fascinating to see how slowly the different, um, Corruptions of the Catholic Church yeah. started to get in, yeah, yeah. but when you're looking at the earliest documents, whether that be the uh, Apostles' tradition, uh, Apostolic uh, Apostolic Constitution, uh, the, the Didache, the Didoskaya, um Justin Martyr's right. Apology, uh, these I've read a little bit of this yeah. they show early aspects of corporate worship to the early Church, but I don't, I, like I said, for the for our purposes in this this uh, podcast, I don't.
0: You know, yeah, no, much that's that's into okay. That. <laughs> um, so, but going back to the application, going a little bit further into the discussion of application. So, I'm going to give you a few examples here, if you don't mind, and just give me your thoughts. Go ahead if you want for, for sure. And, and before
1: I wanted to finish with the uh, the early Baptist understanding. Oh, here sure. Just before, with two other examples briefly on application before we get into today's application because that's my area of study, and I like to look at the 17th century Baptist, But two other areas that are important is uh, the distinction of application and the difficulty with we mentioned congregational songs so that would be right. one of them but also laying on of hands. Right. So most of the general Baptists in the 17th century were practicing laying on of hands because they believed it was a biblical prescription Sure. in Hebrews 6. Right. Benjamin Keach believed laying on of hands is a biblical prescription. I would say with looking at it it's a difficult one that I'm still studying because Keech makes really strong arguments on why we should Practice it. And it does seem like there's a strong argument that it's a prescription. If it is, then we must practice it right. in our corporate worship. Um, and Now, most of the other particular Baptists, outside of Hercules, Collins, and Benjamin Keech uh, being the major two big names that did practice laying on of hands, Kiffin
0: and Knowles and those guys, they wouldn't have practiced laying on of hands. Now, explain to me and others that are listening... Like, what do you mean laying? On? Do you mean, like, fighting You know, going in, 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 the, in, the, in the parking lot? <laughs> so, and... <laughs> After
1: baptism, right. there would be the laying on of hands, and it's often called laying on of hands to receive the Spirit. Some early Baptists were more charismatic than others. Keech did not believe that it was actually the receiving of the Spirit that occurred with the laying on of hands, but that it was a matter of sanctification, performing what God had prescribed It's a means to sanctify. It encourages that believer. It
0: edifies that believer by doing the ordinary means of grace. So after baptism, so let's let's look at right. today's context real quick. Okay. Um, in that, I mean, this is going along with what you're saying. But in, in our modern context, you have the pastor baptizing or elder overseer right. baptizing the new believer. Okay, the right. person already received Christ mm-hmm. by faith. Um, baptism is done, performed. the The service goes on. Preaching right. happens. The conclusion of the service comes off. Then, you know, for example, they could do it at right after, or you know, whenever I guess. But they bring out this person, or the person comes to the front after the sermon, and the, the pastor asks the entire church to come and lay hands on uh, this person. Is that is that kind of what? I, I think it would have just been, and I, I need to double check this, and it might have been different with different congregations,
1: but I believe that would just be the elders there. So we don't want to oh. we don't want to confuse the laying on hands and I'll call it for simplicity's sake here, the laying on of hands to receive the Spirit with the laying on of hands for ordination. Or the laying on of hands when we're just praying for somebody. uh, Where, you know, this is laying on of hands as a means of uh, uh, the next step after baptism, the next part of uh, baptism.
0: so, this is elders only. Pastors, elders, I, only. I believe yeah. so. It would have been the elders. Okay. The pastor, at least. Okay. It may have only been one, but I, I would say and that's, elders, that's new to pastors, me. That's actually so new yeah. to me. I haven't really studied that So, too most much.
1: people think of laying on of hands as being for ordination. And there was laying on of hands for ordination. Yes.
0: That's, that, that's what right. I personally thought right. of. But we're talking about laying on of hands after baptism of all new believers. Yeah. Do you know any, right off the top of your head, do you know any scripture passages that maybe. Hebrews 6. Hebrews six okay. I'll have to I have to look at that later on. But that's the the, the <coughs> one that, that tend, the, those I believe it's a prescription
1: tend to go to. Yeah.
0: What about foot washing?
1: Foot washing, uh, that's an interesting one. I personally believe that's narrative. Um, right. Where that's it's found in Acts uh, uh, and and really in the Gospels, yeah. It right. Tends to be, it tends to be done with narrative. I think it was performed in Acts as well, right?
0: I, I'm example. not sure. I know it was
1: performed at least in the Gospels. No, for sure in the at Gospels. Least in the but, Gospels. But, but yeah. it, it's not something we see any place um, of prescription to do this. Right. I command you to wash the feet right. in corporate worship or something like that. And so right. I think that there's a stronger argument for laying on of hands. There's uh, kind of like I believe there's a, a strong argument for women wearing head coverings in worship. That's and another lip. one. And that's a difficulty that we tripped in in our... Uh, Society today to say, oh, well, we don't want to hit on that issue. But I believe that as as theologians, we must analyze this and study this. Should women still be wearing head coverings in corporate worship? Should they be wearing head coverings in general? As a You're making me nervous,
0: John. I did not ask you to come on this podcast to make me nervous. No, that's a good, actually... Good... It's something
1: we should discuss. And I'm We not should. Saying, I mean, I... Personally, lean to saying that it's a sign that a woman is in submission to her husband, and that she is yeah. respecting her husband. And so, I lean that way. But I do think that we do need—we uh, still need to consider whether it's a prescription for the head cover or cultural or just
0: thing. the submission. Do you think it's a cult? I mean, is there
1: is there any argument? I am for it? saying that I, it's a difficult passage, and I think that I tend to th- uh, say that it was the cultural way of showing submission right. to her husband, but we need to be careful with arguing from cultural positions. That's yeah, absolutely. Most of the, those that are more moderate or uh, left-wing, they'll argue, oh, well, women can be in the position of pastor. Right. It was only cultural that they couldn't be a pastor. And so we don't want to fall in that type of error. So I think we need to discuss, and each church needs to discuss, whether or not head
0: coverings, whether that's, or not
1: yeah. laying on of the hands right. these difficult passages because worship is important.
0: Right, no, and that's that's exactly right, and that's what I hope people take out of this discussion at least is, hey, maybe not, maybe it's not head coverings for, for your church right now, but maybe there's some other things you need to discuss that are a little bit more, you know, uh, I guess time sensitive because your church is going through this at, you know, right now. Now, I want to go into some more, now, I don't know that many more churches. More contemporary application, yeah. right? Yeah, I would like to, to yes. go into some. Now, here's some easy softball ones. We'll start yeah. off easy because, yeah. you know, that's that's how it goes, right? Um and I think we will, we'll agree on this one for sure. What are your thoughts about, um, instead of having a sermon, preach, preaching the Word of God, how about just a um, skit? We're going to do a skit in place of the, the the sermon. Now, I don't have any churches off the top of my head that have done this. I'm sure there have. Oh, but... I, I, I've known plenty. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, so, yeah. how would the regulative principle of worship apply to this, that question?
1: Well you're going to have a hard time finding even the broadest of regulative principle that will... I mean, you cannot show me narrative or prescription in the Old Testament or New right. Testament for skits. <coughs> so the regulative principle would reject it outright as an advantage on land.
0: Right. And, I mean, even the... I mean, we know the early church was very, I, I think, I would say anti-theater. Uh, I mean, we that's that's pretty right. much... And fact. that would have been a
1: common thought. I mean, even if you look at, say, the... The Hellenistic influences Plato and uh, Plato was especially against it and I'm not saying that the church needs to use Plato as a guide or anything but like even that. he did yeah, yeah. he yeah. was saying because what the theater stood for right theater was not paganistic right it was it was, it was very licentious you know right. there was a lot of uh, things that are antithetical to what we should be doing as Christians were were at least uh Considered
0: to be part of the theater, right? At that time, right, right. So, so, okay, so that's a softball one. To no to skits. All right, I will yeah. have to go back to my no, I'm joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> no, we, at Gracie, we do not. We do not have. Uh, we do not have skits. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, I, I think would uh, would have yeah. uh, have a cow. Um, <laughs> but um, but but there. Yeah, we can say skits, and that's more on the effective principle. Right. But
1: when we look at the the more normative principle well what about liturgical dramas right there's a history going back to the catholic church of this liturgical drama and should we have and i would say no we shouldn't have liturgical right. drama right and even some of your normative guys your conservative normative guys would say no we shouldn't have liturgical drama because of what it came and so right. i think that those two we can kind of put on parallel uh or at least we can say they're similar we can say they're similar right. liturgical drama and skit but you're you're
0: going now I'm I'm going to let you uh, no yeah no, it's all good it's all good Um, I was just thinking of some more like you know for example I mean when we see a lot today in our in our in our culture I think in our in our churches unfortunately is the use of lights smoke machines fog machines yes stuff like that um uh, I mean, that's just, we could just go right there. What, what are your thoughts? What is the right principle of worship? How does it apply, um, if at all? Once again,
1: we're, we're hitting now on, once again, another thing of the effective principle of worship. Uh, right. The trying to breed this effect of, I'm going to use a buzzword here, entertainment. They don't, they would not say that they're trying to entertain. They right. may say they're trying to contextualize. That's a hip word, yeah. There we go. Okay, and so I mean, they're trying to say, or we're trying to be authentic, right? (laughs) Redefining authenticity. I mean, I would prefer to use Webster's definition of authentic, but hey, Uh, (laughs) they just want it to be real, how you feel. But let's give these churches—not all churches—that use fog machines and lights—are trying to do that. Sure, absolutely. But unbeknownst to them, I think that they are. Manipulating the people in the congregation, their burdening consciences by adding to what God has prescribed something in an attempt to make people feel comfortable coming into the service, or have, or they, to yeah, be able to communicate better to the younger generations. Right. I think that they're, I think they're doing it well. I think they're well-meaning in their practice, sure. but just because one is well-meaning doesn't mean that. It's correct. Or biblical. It's correct. Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, they... they we they, don't know that they were well-meaning, but I, we don't know why they were not well-meaning either.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I've had conversations with folks where they're like, but lights and fog machines, you know, that makes me feel so good, which I don't... I mean, I, I get kind yeah, of a lot. The, love. Are, thick, fickle. Exactly. the are fickle. Exactly. are fickle. Or, you know, it creates a mood. It gives me a... Or it, it, it transforms my mood into a certain position. And my thing is is... That's not what the, the we're not, call, the worship service, the corporate service does, is not, should not be done in such a but way they, that. But it, they're right, though. It is transforming their oh, mood. No, I wouldn't use the word transforming, but
1: I would say that it is shaping. Or shaping, yeah. Uh, forming, and so transforming, forming are very similar, so you could use transforming, I guess, but I would say shaping or forming. Forming, right. Their affections and it's building a habit for their passions. So the affections are that, the inclination of the will. Right. And the passions are kind of these animal emotions. Right. And a lot of times, when we're manipulating the passions, we get someone feeling good. Oh, that 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 song really gets me tapping my foot. Or <laughs> yeah. that fog machine just went, wow, right, right. look. And, yeah. it, and it gets chills going up my spine and all these other things. And so our passions are ignited. Right. But the thing is... is just because the passions are ignited doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is moving a person. Right. We are—we bl- a lot of times we blame the Holy Spirit for someone's passions being manipulated in the service. Right. When we start adding to what the Holy Spirit does, right. I believe we're no longer worshiping. And
0: reverence in the God, hand. and this goes back to actually, I uh, several weeks ago I talked about the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't listened to that one, go ahead and, and after this episode, go listen to it. I talk about the Holy Spirit and the functions, like what does the what is the role, proper biblical role of the Holy Spirit? And I didn't go into, mm-hmm. I didn't go into every single instance of of what you know, the, the role of the Holy Spirit, but in general, I, I definitely. Um, I touched on exactly what you're saying because today it seems like a lot of people say, "Well, the Holy Spirit caused, like you said, emotion or creates some emotion within my soul to right. go and do well, I think X, a Y, ones Guide.
1: I think a good guide for us, and we can make it in one simple statement: right. the Holy Spirit will never work outside. Uh, the Holy Spirit always works alongside the Word of God. It is His Word. Right. If we're trying to attribute something to the Holy Spirit that we don't see in the Word of God... Right. Then I would say it's wrong. Yeah. We're misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. We, have to, we don't know for sure. these, what Edwards would say, Jonathan Edwards would say, is a sign of nothing. How do we know it's not you just ate a bad burrito so you're feeling <laughs> that way? Right, no. I mean,
0: it's a sign of nothing. Yeah. And I mean, I, emotions are just as fickle as anything else. I mean, it. we... We sit in a service. We might walk in so grumpy and upset. Hey, I just kicked my dog out uh, out in the parking lot there, or or in my house, or whatever. Um, Me and my wife, uh, or my siblings, we just had a fight, but now we're here, and I'm in a good mood now because of these lights, these fog machines. Hey, so and so was nice to me. Boom! It's the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily, right? And I mean, may I don't know if would you even say that the Holy Spirit at all? Does anything to our emotions at all? I mean, well, the Holy Spirit. When we understand, see, um, I would
1: argue that emotions is an an unhelpful word. Okay, that we should go ahead and trash the word emotions because everybody sure. is hijacking what it means, and there's just so many different meanings. Right. We don't even know what right. emotions means. I would go back to the older two terms of affections and passions. Affections is the inclination of the will. Right. Passions are the animal. Desires, both passions and affections, are good things. God gave us both. We're not. We don't want to fall into the whole uh, uh, concept, a uh, Manichaean uh, concept that the flesh, uh, the the body, also right. the body, is bad. No, yeah, that's not. Yeah. The desires. I eat because I'm hungry. That's a good thing. I drink because I'm thirsty. Sexual drive. These are all good things. Sure. when When using the proper context. Right. But when we ignite the passions, and they're not under the control of the affections, which is the inclination of the will. So as pastors, elders, and overseers, we're responsible for shaping the affections in a proper manner. Right. So if we do songs that ignite a, uh, an affection that's not a holy religious affection, or ignite the passions in a way that they're no longer controlled by the affections... If we're shaping those congregants in a way that is not healthy, right. we're held responsible.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. That that makes sense. That really does. That does. So. But I think with application again. Yeah. I know we're going back and forth yeah, a little bit. Just, so. Which is cool.
1: Application. It gets difficult, and and like I said, when we're when we're keeping the the different distinction between the normative principle and the effective principle, I would place a couple of other things, and you can stop me if there's one you want to hit on a little bit more or talk about because it's more difficult. I have to several that um, I want to
0: talk about, but, but yeah, A go couple
1: on. of them that are normative principle things that I believe that we should avoid in corporate worship because they're an addition to, they're an invention of man, they're will worship, okay. as the early regulative guys would say, would be things such as Advent candles. Okay, I don't think wear- we should practice those. Or incense, in the worship service. Right. Uh, vestments, so sort of liturgical drama. But when it comes to infect, uh, the effective principle, we've got things such as fog machines, or videos in the corporate worship. Uh, musicals. Skits, we talked about that. Dance. I was going to ask you that. Uh, but go ahead. Powerlifting. A lot of times, churches will bring in powerlifting teams, right? Don't even get uh, this. Oh, my. Or, uh, oh. Here's, a, here's a key one, right? The Lord's Supper with soda and chips.
0: Oh, No, no. Does that exist? Yes. Oh no. Yes. There are people oh, that go that is,
1: that effect now. That dead. now, granted, that's speaking of the form, right? But it's just—it's totally destroying the prescription of that bread and wine. Even and our normative guys,
0: our normative guys would right, would, because that's would, effective. That yeah. is not
1: normative. That is right. some, and there—that's one of the reasons we need to keep that distinction
0: between right. the
1: normative principle and the effective principle. Because Luther would have never went for that.
0: Right. So I want to back up a little bit. The dancing. Okay, okay, so like, are you talking about dancing like in the corporate service, like yes. on stage or yes. on the platform, whatever you want to call it, or at, at the front? Or hey, what about in the corporate, like everyone dancing? I would say no, we don't see a prescription for that in the New Testament. Okay, so no dancing. So I remember I was at the Passion Conference. Now this is a conference and yes. I want to make a distinction uh, here myself. This is, uh, so there's a difference between a corporate local church service at the local church and a conference. So I went yes. to a conference several weeks ago, uh the Piper conference, they called the Piper conference Bethlehem uh college uh conference there in um uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so went there and the conference was great and but I shouldn't hold their to the, them to that that standard of regulative principle of worship. Sure. It's a conference. It's not a local church gathering. Now, obviously, some things might be done, and I don't think they did anything that made me feel uncomfortable. But say they did, right? I mean that that still exists, obviously. And just like at the Passion Conference, there was someone that was dancing. Now, right. for those that don't know, the Passion Conference is at in Atlanta. Louis Giglio he mm-hmm. puts that on, and there's some there's some great teaching there and stuff. There's some beneficial things about it, but I don't I, I don't care. It much definitely for it. tends to be more charismatic than I am, for sure. Oh, and, and <laughs> but then again, that doesn't take much. Well, it, it used to be pretty. It used to be pretty solid. I will say that it used to be pretty good, and it recently, over the years, it's it's in my humble opinion, it's gone. Anyway, I don't want to stay on that. I just wanted yeah. to bring up. I remember seeing someone in a in a time of worship, uh, everyone's singing and stuff. Whatever, uh, someone was dancing uh, ballerina, uh, uh, ballet or whatever. But well, when we talk about dance, yeah. then
1: we always get people saying, "Well, but didn't David dance?" Exactly. I was going to bring and that and up. Yeah. The thing is, is that this is a twofold problem. So. The easy answer for someone that holds to the strict version of the regulative principle is that's Old Testament and not New Testament. Yeah. But let's say that one holds to the most broad understanding of the regulative principle, and we're saying, um, let's say this includes both the prescription and narrative of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the broadest form, the one I don't hold to, but for sure here. Still, did David dance in temple worship? No. No. They're taking something out of context there. And we need to understand that when I'm talking about the regulative principle of worship, we're talking about corporate worship. We're not talking about everyday life. Yeah. Everyday life is normative. Right. We are going to practice. Mowing the lawn is a good thing. Right. Uh, You know, uh, eating uh, is a good thing. Right. These are things that are not... Prescribed for corporate worship outside of the Lord's supper, of course. Right, right. But these are things not prescribed in corporate worship, so we shouldn't practice them in the worship service. But in everyday life, we couldn't even be doing this podcast right now if everyday life was not normative. Right. So, if people a lot of times when they after they throw the stone of isn't that legalistic, they want to say, but but I mean, what
0: are you doing in everyday life? They're missing the boat there. Yeah, but uh, yeah. the David example just doesn't work. It doesn't it, does, it yeah. doesn't hold. So, okay, so Dancy, that that's one I was actually going to get to. Now, what about your pastor say he he hey, wants to do something really cool. I mean, yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. He wants to drive his Harley into the corporate service. What do you say to that? How does the regulative principle of worship apply there? Well, can he not walk into the, the church service? Sure, but I what mean, if he, he wants to I mean, hey, what if he wants to, you yeah. know.
1: My question becomes here of why is he doing it? Right. And it seems to me that it's trying to do the effective principle of worship. It does not seem that there was no other way for him to get up to the pulpit. (laughs) I mean, if he really truly cannot walk, then why is he not just being wheeled up there in a wheelchair? Something that's not going to distract the the congregation. So on top of... The only possible claim someone can make to allow this to be the regular pr- principle is that it's a circumstance, and that's the only way—the best way—for him to have gotten up there. Right. Sorry, that's not going to hold because the reason he's doing it is to try to entertain, to be effective.
0: Right. Now,
1: yeah. that's what yeah. he's doing. He has a reason for it. It's—it's—it—it has—it's uh, inferring something outside of itself. He's right. trying to appeal to the masses, meaning. It, I would say it's garbage and it shouldn't be included. In corporate
0: right worship. now, here's another one. To uh, now, this is I've i only seen a few examples of that one. Here's one I've seen, and this happens a lot. I mean, yeah. a lot. Um, it's called movies at the church or church at the movies or something like uh, something like that. Um, I think yeah. Life Church TV does is it in corporate worship. It is. It's in co- the corporate service time. I mean, it's like Sunday mornings. It's in the sur- and they consider it their worship service. Well, now I don't know if they have. They just play the mu- movie and everyone goes home, and this is not a Christian movie. This is a secular movie, right? So, I mean, and let me let me let me explain a little bit more. It they sometimes I think some of these churches will actually play clips of it, and then the pastor will explain how that is a mo- you know how that illustrates this passage scripture passage. So they use that as an illustration. There we go. That's another good one. you know sermon yeah. illustrations. So, but but answer that, I w- I'm curious, how, how would you respond to that well, one? If there, if it is the
1: corporate worship service, it needs to be rejected. Why? Um, because it's it is, a, it is a, it's an invention of man. It right. is will worship. It is not prescribed in the New Testament. It's not prescribed. It, the broadest form of the regulative principle, the normative principle wouldn't be for that. No. Right? This is effective principle 101. Right. We're going to try to show a movie so that people can better understand what's going on, right? (laughs) It's more important that we connect than it is to follow God's prescriptions and God's commands. Well, how do we know that it wasn't easier for Nadab and Abihu to make the strange fire? Right. God didn't care if it was easier or not.
0: Yeah. I, honestly, I just look at that as childish. I mean, playing, uh, honestly, like, look, you have a youth service or whatever.
1: Difficult, difficult difficulty, though, is if they
0: make it clear that it's not corporate worship. Yeah.
1: That this is not a worship service and we're just fellowshipping by watching a movie. Yeah, that's fine. Now, that's fine. I still wonder why they would do a secular movie. I think that's unwise.
0: I, I've sh- I've showed. I mean, when I was a youth pastor, I showed secular movies at times, just yeah. as for fun. Like, I mean, they were they were, right. they were safe That's movies. the only
1: argument for using it, but like, right. it needs to be outside of the corporate worship service. Yeah, I would me. never. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Even when I was not even informed about this stuff, right. I was never. You know, never personally did that. Uh, I don't think I've ever experienced that myself. But anyway, um, so. Um, I'm trying to think of another example that I was one hit on. Okay, come but, on, go to the difficult ones here. The difficult ones, well, I've kind of went on some more difficult okay. ones there a little bit. Um, but there's I
1: mean, one that I've been asked about, and I've looked into it, and it, it hits upon the regulative principle, but there's other issues with it. Okay, go for it. Um, And this is going to really probably cause a lot of controversy with your uh, your... Uh, listeners outside, you know, I know, yeah. I know that probably most of this has been very controversial among your listeners. Now, I want to say, hey, listeners, I
0: might not agree with this. So no, I'm I'm I'm. Um, no, we'll see. Go you ahead. had,
1: I believe, you had earlier in the uh, in your uh, podcast. Had Houston speak right? Oh,
0: <laughs> so um, Houston no, does not, something. No, it does I mean. No, no. I, I want to. I'm not laughing at Houston because I love Houston. It's it's the fact that, our, and I'm just that just reminded me. We had a discussion, and I totally forgot about this. We had a discussion in it. I don't know if you heard it. I I, but, didn't, I just. I only heard the beginning of that interview. I've yeah. not been able to listen. We to got into yet. that. Like we got into a discussion, in the middle most fun, very gracious, very mm-hmm. good um, discussion. Should um, uh, spoken word
1: be That's used the in making.
0: the corporate? And it, I understood where he's coming from, and I, I, I understand. You know, I, I thought what he said was fair. You know, when I, I mean by fair is, I understand how he came to that conclusion. And I don't know if I, was, right. I don't remember if I fully agreed well, with them. Well, today,
1: it's it's interesting because people are like, "Well, this is spoken word. It's not music. It's not it's something kind of its own." And who are you to say that we can't bring it in if it's doctrinal into the corporate worship? Sure. Well, and I think there's just two things. First off, for the main topic at hand, the regular principle of worship. What is this new entity of spoken spoken word? Right. If I think a spoken word, I'm thinking reading a scripture, prayer, preaching. That's spoken word, right? But that's not yeah. what we mean today with this new creative form. What about poems like that? I mean, <laughs> poems, poems is kind of the same thing. Hymns are poems, right? A lot of times. That's so exactly. I'm not going to say that poetry cannot be used as long as it's going along the lines of Scripture, right? And used in the proper elements and the proper forms. Now, if someone's psalmody only, then the only poems that could be used would be scriptural uh, canticles or psalms. Psalms being what's found in the Book of Psalms, and canticles uh, being
0: uh, the songs in Scripture not found in the Book of Psalms. So, spoken word, I, I put spoken word along the same lines as, essentially, poetry. In, in in my understanding of it now, I might use It's be... the form that I have more of an
1: issue with. It's done almost in a. Uh, I guess I could only say that it's somewhat like rap in the way they speak it. I don't know. I don't understand. I mean that that that's what I've heard. It's it's got this yeah this very popish and when I mean popish, I mean appealing to the masses, appealing to make money, that type of feel. So it's not as much the poetry. Right. I have issue with. It's more the form that's carrying it, the vehicle, the means of communicating it, I believe is an addition, and it's an invention of man. So that's one issue, but also bringing the pop culture, the 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 culture uh, outside of the world into the corporate worship right. service, I have an issue there. So it's twofold issues with spoken word. And I mean, I've still yet to hear an argument for spoken word that is able to uh provide enough
0: evidence to fulfill both of these uh problems I have with right him. I'm, okay I'm not now I'm not a defender of spoken words I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to do that that's a good conversation to have Houston on for. So I'm gonna let Houston just sit there and t- like yell at the like no you know yeah. like he, I mean he'd probably respond to right. that in a I don't I don't know how he would or other people and, and we've had some discussions on this as right well, so. okay good yeah well I don't um that's something I'd have to ponder on a little bit more but honestly just to be safe just to be cautious I'm more of a cautious guy when it comes to the corporate yeah. worships so I would say just not don't do it leave it for an entertainment mm-hmm. not like talent show or okay. Well, like just a, because something know, is
1: not fitting for corporate worship doesn't mean it's bad. And yeah, it, I, there are I believe God can use that are it. Good yeah, sure. That are not fitting for corporate worship.
0: Absolutely. You know, as there's a lot of bands. Attempt, yeah,
1: well, I've, I've stomped yeah. Uh, on enough toes already, but you know what? Why not? Uh, why not stomp on some more here? Oh and say, you know, just because um, we're going to have—I'll use the example of um, either Christian rap or Christian hard rock, or Christian Dude, metal, hey, hey, or any, a metal of whoa, things, whoa. any of these hey, things, any of these things, we're trying to, <laughs> there's a question, first off, of whether these are good or bad, and if a person practices a bad thing, then it's an immoral act. These things are not immoral. Only people can be moral or immoral. Right, but, right. But, let's say, for argument's sake, there's something like a, a Southern Gospel, or a, a Southern Gospel song, right? To right, Tell yeah. us here. Yeah. Just, let's let's say that the text is good. Right. And let's say that the music is, is good there. That does not mean that Southern Gospel song is fitting for corporate worship.
0: No, exactly. If it's no. not
1: reverent, if it does not shape the affections in a way that they're going to be revering God and be in awe of who God is, right? then there's a question, and I would say we should not have that in the corporate worship service. Right. So... Does spoken word the the way it communicates is it shaping the affections in a way that it's going to bring a person to revere God and be in awe of who
0: He is? I would argue no. Yeah. And I see where you're going on that, and I I definitely think that. Like I told Houston, that's fair. In fact, I'd probably lean your way on that and agree with you on that. I I, ha- I just haven't thought enough through that to be honest. Um, but I would I would definitely think that's a, a very It'd be wise to just not have and it. And in my I'm, saying, I'm not
1: saying that everything that's not fitting for corporate worship is, is wrong, is yeah. bad. Right. I'm saying there are some good things that are not fitting for corporate worship. Right. We need to understand, first off, is this good or bad? Right. And I believe that we need to draw a line. I don't believe there's neutrals. Right. There's not neutrality there. It's either good or bad, or has an element of goodness and an element of badness. This measure of the song is bad, but the rest of it's good. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I, I get what you're Um... But the question then becomes after, is it good or bad? Is it fitting for corporate
0: worship? Yeah, and I think And we need to fine-tune too too many people say, well, it's it's good for my life. I can sing to this in my car. Hey, Caleb plays it, everyone, whatever. I love it. I glean a lot of spiritual truth from it. Therefore it should be in the corporate service. I think there's a problem with that logic. And I agree with you on that. I think that's great. I think I hope everyone. Hears that and really, at least takes that away from this conversation. That not just because you you enjoy it away from the corporate service doesn't mean it should be in the corporate service. It might not be appropriate. Let, let me give you an example. I love metal music. I'm I'm a metal guy, a metalhead. Now I would say that metal music in of itself is not bad. I would say it's it, it's good. It's it's music. It can be. And I think we would disagree there. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> well, but- I'm not. I'm
1: not. I don't believe that it's communicating good message, the music itself. Really? So the okay. absolute music, I believe, is is antithetical to beauty, and so therefore
0: I would argue uh, that
1: it's not. Well, that's know, Isn't that a little
0: subjective? I, I would say,
1: I want to put well, it back, is that, is that a little subjective there? I mean, believe there is I believe that beauty is uh, there is objective beauty, and when we look at the structure, when we look at the form, when we look at how it aligns with creation and with mm-hmm. almighty God, I would say something that sounds angry. Oh, I mean, that
0: some of it, some of it does sound it, angry. Some of it, it doesn't. It's harsh. Yeah.
1: It's harsh, and so because of those two things, I think that heck, I know I'm really stepping on toes now. Yeah, um, you are. Yeah, um, step <laughs> on mine. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm stepping on toes. But I would say that that harshness of metal um, and even mm-hmm. hard rock, uh, different forms of country and different forms of pop, um, they what, there's an
0: objective ugliness to it. Right, well, that hurts. That that hurts a little bit. Cause I used to be in a band. Uh, well, I, and that's okay. Like you know, and here's here's the thing. I didn't know we were going to disagree on that. I don't remember us ever disagreeing on that. Maybe, maybe not. But that's fine. That's that's totally cool. My parents disagree with. I mean, if they're listening, they they know. They're saying they're probably like, hey, Jared, listen to that guy right there. But you know, I've, I've, there's different types of metal anyway. There's some there's some metal that doesn't have much aggression, much anger, angst. It's more just. It's more more, poppy-ish. Just for your listeners here and and for you as
1: well, when when I'm saying that I draw the line here, I'm saying that all music is either good or bad. All music is either beautiful or ugly, or it has elements of both. We understand that with the fall, that everything is groaning for the return of Christ, uh, that there's corruption there. But I'm not saying you need to draw the line where I draw the line. But I do want all of you to consider drawing the line and not just saying, oh, as the postmoderners do, as the most of the people from the worship wars that were on the more liberal side of, of worship saying, ah, do whatever you want to do, and, and with music it's, it doesn't have a meaning, uh, as yeah. long well, as it's appealing to masses. Um, the thing is, is that you need to really consider about saying that music, all music is good, or that music is neutral, and so it's all about preference. I think we need yeah. to be
0: very cautious there. I mean, I would say, like, there, there are certain music that's not good because there's language, there's messages within the song that's not good, it's not godly, it's not... And I'm speaking ably- of
1: absolute music. I'm talking of the music, not the yeah, structure. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's, that's what I'm picking up on. I, I think I would disagree with you on that part. I, I believe I would. But so would you say that listening to metal is sinful? Is that what you're saying? I would say that
1: everything we listen to, everything we do, shapes us and forms us in some way. And further, the meaning of music, I don't believe in what was an early theory called the arousal theory, Um, a doctor that is something that was held by Plato, that just by listening to the music... I am going to become angry. So if I listen to heavy metal, and it's an angry heavy metal, then I'm angry necessarily. I don't believe it shifts, but I do believe music has a meaning. Right. And that meaning of the music is done through symbolism. So this music sounds how this passion or affection or emotion, if we're going to use the major term, feels. So this music, as the, the, you know, um, we think of different symbols, uh, you know, uh, oh, what's, a, what's a, a symbol here? The fish sign. Oh, yeah. It stands for something else. Right. Music, it means how people feel. Well, there's It doesn't emotion. necessarily mean yeah. that you're going to feel that way from listening to the music. Right. But think of it this way. I'm going to make a very similar argument using another form of meaning. Would you say, first off, that music has meaning? Music itself? Right. Would you say that well, it carries meaning? Um, you're talking about just the music. Yeah, You're not talking about the lyrics. So do you believe it's a form of communication at all? Sure. Perhaps. Okay. So you would say it's a form of communication. And here's what I'd also ask the listeners to think about here. If music is a form of communication, and facial expressions is a form of communication, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, right. And dance is a form of communication, would you agree there? Right. And... Um, words are a form of communication. Would you agree there? Right. Now, I'm going to ask you a question similar to the question you just asked me. Is it sinful for a person to use, to curse? Correct. So it would be sinful for them to curse? Correct. Okay. Yes. Is it sinful for a person to uh, move their hips in a way with a dance that is uh, provocative and immodest? Correct. Okay. Yes, correct. Facial expressions. If a person uses a facial expression that is considered disrespectful to their parents, rolling the eyes or something like that, is that sinful? Mm, that's where I'm,
0: I might... Okay, so... Or maybe they're, they're If they're... So, I, at that point, I would go... I would lean more towards okay. What, were, what was their heart behind that? Like so, like say you might perceive my facial like—is there like any
1: form of facial communication that could be disrespectful? <laughs> I yeah. I mean yeah. Okay, I would agree so with you on it that. Can yeah. be simple. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm trying to think with all of these forms That's, of communication. Right. You're saying that it can be simple. Now I'm oh, going to ask sure, you this. Sure. With music, absolute music, as a form of communication, which you agreed earlier, it was a form of communication. Right. With music, is there any type of music that can be sinful by listening to it? Just the music itself. The music itself, not the lyrics. It's a form of communication, right? We already. Okay, said let's say lyrics did not exist. Yes, so just, lyrics don't okay, exist. Okay,
0: okay. I would say no. Okay. Okay. Here's, but why? Okay, but why? So, all right. Because the, the main thing is is music itself the what it communicates. If we're going to say it does communicate, assuming it does, say we it, so it we, always communicates good things. Well, no, no, I'm sa- no. Let me, let me finish. So music communicates different things for different people. For example, when I listen to metal, I don't get angry. It doesn't communicate anger
1: to me. but, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not espousing. A arousal type theory or something like oh, okay. that. Oh, yeah, theory. that's You're right. saying okay automatically. I'm saying what it means, just like words. What it means. Just because someone curses doesn't well, I don't mean know. you're going to feel that way. Well, that's sure, but perfect. even but the music, sinful.
0: I don't know what they're, I mean, the thing is, is a, a really heavy guitar riff, like, I know people yeah. that, that have created guitar riffs like that. They were not angry. They were not communicating no, 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 that but ang- but what? angry. Here's the deal.
1: Anger. Just because somebody curses doesn't mean that they're angry either.
0: Okay. They could curse just because it's sure. a habit. And that's a that's a yeah, I guess. See what I'm yeah. saying? Well so music not is anger what it means. Though, it's what the door but, but when you say means. metal, you're saying that you're when you say metal though, you were saying it, it communicates anger to you, right? Is that isn't that what you said? I wanna
1: I think I was using that as an example that it could. To me, I think that it is a sure. form so, of music. So be,
0: but is that so what other emotion would it convey? Or what other what's so I guess,
1: and, and, and let me be frank here. I yeah. don't
0: really listen to metal because right. I, think, I think it's not. There's <laughs> different types of. I don't I believe it's good. Right. There's I can. Heavy, I can, There's death metal. I know of these things. I can. I can um, play ten different songs for you, and right. they would all create different emotions. And but I'm wanting you yeah. to think through what you just said here. With every
1: other form of communication that you agreed was a form of communication, you said it could be sinful. But with music, you said it couldn't. And, what, and this is a common thing in the church, right? So we're saying that music can't. And we've got off topic from the right no, we topic. Did, but, but uh, <laughs> no, this is cool. This is cool.
0: This, <laughs> this is, is cool. this is causing conversations. Cosby's conversations. It's here. all right. I, uh, I said this could happen. So, but, yeah.
1: if all of these other forms of communication, right, these let's say vehicles of communication, right, just because someone dances in a provocative way, does that mean that they're feeling provocative? Not necessarily. But, they're, I, well, but they're, what they're communicating yeah. is sinful. Now, if you're communicating in the music that you're doing something that is sinful. Or if you're choosing to be the garbage can and listening to it. <laughs> right? Okay, well, let me let me ask you this. If, if, yeah. it, if it can be. Or, what you really got to ask yourself and what the, the listeners have to ask themselves is, why is this the only form of communication that I believe is neutral or always good? That's, it's a postmodern yeah. argument. Yeah. This argument was not around, or, or was not prevalent until the 1970s. It definitely wasn't prevalent in the church until the 1970s. And the worship wars, if we look at what the worship wars were fighting over, a lot of it was dealing with musical meaning. And it used to be prevalent that they said, yes, music means something. But with postmodernism, we say, "Oh," or utilitarianism. I would argue that we have been so shaped by the surrounding culture and we become so desensitized to what music does because we listen to it everywhere and we hear this 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 harsh, ugly music all the time that we become desensitized to it, that no longer we're able to see what it's actually communicating. Music, I would argue, speaks in a
0: way that's more precise than words. Okay, is it okay, so is it possible for music to indeed communicate, but it doesn't necessarily have to be sinful?
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, I believe that their the music communicates
0: very reverent things as well. Okay, it, give me communicates, an, it always communicates something. Okay, give me an is example. What is it give me an example of music that communicates something good, but is not necessarily worship. Or you know, give me an example. I want. To, I would like to to get some examples. Okay, um, the national anthem,
1: <laughs> the tune that goes with the national anthem communicates. I mean, some would say idolatry. Well, but the, okay. So now we have to talk about different types of communication, right? So <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. okay. So it just, and I know we've got off topic here, but right. this is fun. So I think Macagina, John Macagina, makes a strong argument for three different types of musical meaning. One is bioacoustic. Right. One is uh, iconic. Right. And then one is associative.
0: Right. Now, okay.
1: Associative meaning is something that comes from a a sentimentality or something like that. Something that, um, because this song was my grandmother's favorite song, it means this to me. It's something I associate it with. Iconic meaning is, in the United States, we have said this is going to mean this, so it means this. A stop sign means to stop. It's an icon to stop. That's what it means by an iconic meaning. The National Anthem, similarly, when we hear the National Anthem, it means... United States of America, or the American flag. When we see that, it means freedom.
0: <laughs> to some. To yeah. some.
1: Yeah. Or it could have another, give me, uh, the Confederate battle banner. That's another
0: controversial issue. Yeah. That, you know, it's an icon that means different things. Okay, so give me, give point. me, okay, so let's get off the national anthem. Give me one, just one example of a good song like you hear on the radio. Can or, I define by acoustic real quick? That's the universal. Maybe. Okay. Okay. It okay. means
1: this objectively. That's what it's. It's an intrinsic meaning in the music. Okay. Okay. okay.
0: gotcha. So now back to what you're saying. I'm sorry. All right. So I just, I'm curious. Like, is there like so? For example, like I'll I'll throw out. Um, it, there's a. So. Um, my favorite country western artist okay. is uh, Josh Turner. I like Josh Turner a lot. He sings "Black Train." I'm "Black Train." It's it's actually a the lyrics itself are. I wouldn't say biblical, but they're theological at least, and they're... The, well, everybody's theo- a theologian. Yeah. Well, the question no, is, are they good or bad? Yeah, and I would say it's, it leans more good than bad, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, I haven't studied it very strictly, but, I, I mean, he's a very talented artist, his, but his songs are country-western. So when you, but, but when you hear country-western music, what do you think of? What does that communicate to you? I mean, what, I'm just it, curious. It,
1: it's going to depend.
0: Right? right.
1: So even within, so we're talking genre...
0: Right. So
1: I would say, overarching, you have pop culture, folk culture, and high culture. Right. So high culture is going to be the uh, the music that is. uh, It's going to be more intellectual, or the culture. It's not just music; it's art that's higher. It's 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 a. It's going to take more um, learning to understand metal.
0: That's metal. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm serious. There was a scientific and people are going to laugh at this. There was a scientific study done. The those that listen to uh, metal music have a higher IQ. Apparently, that's a, that's that's a real thing. Well, I don't quite understand. I would have to look at that. That's not the only stuff, one, though. That's not there's. I mean, like pop pop music is the lowest. higher speaker. music. Like it's typically,
1: different. it's it's meant to um, communicate more intellectual messages, right. as well as it's not. It's typically appealing to a a more select audience, right, right? right? Then you have folk culture. Folk culture is a culture that is birthed out of out of a people group, right? Correct, yeah. So this type of culture, it's going to be the songs of a people or it's going to be the the literature of a people. Now, the problem is this. When pop culture and industrialization occurs, it kills folk culture because then no longer do you have a, a, a form that is not... Interacted from the outside, or does it has not been um, uh, imposed from the outside, right? So it kills folk culture when you bring in industrialization and pop culture, right? So then pop culture, it's defined in two ways, or two major aspects—not in two ways, but two major aspects. It appeals to the masses, and it's it's uh, created to make money, right? Okay? So any musical genre that is created to appeal to the masses and make money, right. is a pop genre. So metal would be a pop genre because it's made to appeal to the masses and make money.
0: No. No. Um, <laughs> no. I, I, no. I, mean, I would disagree on that one. Okay. So,
1: but any of these forms. So that's the major <laughs> I, I get what you're outside. So now let's go a little more narrow. Then you have different genres such as, that are pop genres such as rock, country, uh some forms of jazz. Rap. That are not, you know, now early jazz and early blues, you yeah. would argue, was more folkish. Which actually right? gave birth to rap. So rap is a, another pop genre. Um, you have these different types of genres. Sure. Now, within each of these genres, I could maybe say that a full genre is bad or good, but I would, I don't listen to a lot of
0: those genres. Yeah, and I get what you're saying. saying you're not, then
1: you have each piece that's communicating something. Right. Right? So... You have to take and use a fine tooth comb, and you will, you will know, especially if you take a break from listening to it for a while, where we're, we're you know, uh, think of, you know, people that take drugs on a regular basis, right? They, <laughs> they build up a tolerance to that drug. Sure music in a similar way when you're listening to it you've built a tolerance you hear it all the time so it's not affecting you, or you it's still
0: affecting you it's still shaking you you just don't yeah. know because you've grown more tolerant I would say it. you know there's like so for example rap I'll, I'll say that I don't I don't listen to a lot of rap some, I, I do listen to it a little bit um, If when you first start listening to rap you can't understand a word they're saying you, you can't follow it you don't understand it you just kind of you know this is right. terrible but as you listen to it you become more accustomed to the the lyrics and what they're actually saying, and you understand it a little bit more. Same thing with metal. Metal is is very similar in that way. It's not a similar genre. I don't think, but, but metal is a right. very, um, and, and yes, a lot of these genres, they were birthed out of different cultures, different right. movements. Right, but then again, um, you get to what is culture, where I, oh, I agree. culture is a behavior, it's
1: not a, yeah. it's not ethnicity no, or, no, no. or no, world no. or something no. like that, no. it no means behavior, it means deeds, so I would say the church, getting a little bit closer to our topic again, the church should have a distinct culture right Um, that's a good that's a a distinct culture we're not trying to borrow from other cultures we should have a distinct culture it's a distinct behaviors that's a good point if say you're in another country and there's something really good that communicates the messages that are really good right and if it uh, if it's something prescribed say congregational song and it's truly congregational and it's truly good and it's reverent and it communicates the right thing, then we can bring it into the service. There's other good things of other cultures that don't follow the prescriptions in the New Testament. Therefore, we can't bring them in. Um, and, And remember, when we're talking about music, when we're talking about these other aspects... There are good things that are not fitting. And that's where we started with the going into... Yeah, music. absolutely. There are good things that are not fitting. And sort so, of, just because... Yeah. Okay, and we can debate. And like I said, I want the listeners to understand this. My main thing I'm trying to uh, convince you of right now, and in this discussion, mm-hmm. is think about where you draw the line. If music is a form of communication, then... I would encourage you to be consistent, and as with all other communication, draw the line and say, hey, this is good communication, and this is bad
0: communication. Yeah. Well, going back to what I was saying about the metal, though, is I was I was going to say, even though I like metal in my personal time, I might listen to it in my car. I don't want that in the corporate service. Right. Even though, at one point, I did say I wanted so, it in the corporate service. So, so, but right there, you're
1: showing... This is
0: even though you think it's good right you don't believe it's fitting exactly that's what I was trying to and that that's exact- I was trying to use a personal example of that because right. I hear that a lot within um a lot of different a lot of different um and a lot of different um contexts there um but anyway, so you know um We've gone a long time. It's been an hour and forty five. Yeah, this is probably the longest longest hey, podcast. That's okay. You bring
1: out, you bring someone that's uh, long winded on here, hey. and you're fairly long winded yourself. I hope I don't
0: offend you, but I I kind of expected this to be honest. That's why I, I I I mean I don't have to get up too too early tomorrow, so we're good. But um yeah um you know like when pe when churches wrestle with how to conduct their service. And this is something I'm very interested about, interested uh, about, is, is just how, why do churches do what they do in the corporate service? And this yeah. ties into the relative principle of worship. I think a lot of times people do what they do is to attract people. Um, you mentioned the seeker-sensitive church. What what you meant by that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the seeker-sensitive church, the goal is to draw seekers. Being lost people mainly, uh, unbelievers or maybe even new believers, and it's well meaning. Yeah, well-meaning. sure, I mean, sure. To be
1: fair, yeah, uh, it, it is well meaning when you're talking about, uh, you know, Rick Warren and people like this. They're well meaning. They're not trying
0: to uh, manipulate. No, I don't think they are. No, yeah, I don't know any any. I mean, there are pastors that do try to manipulate. I think. But they're far and few between. Um, I would say that you know a good example of this. um, I I had a discussion uh, with my friend Grant last week in last week's podcast. um, What is a true movement of God? Um, We were talking about this, and 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 a lot of churches they will have during their altar calls, invitations or whatever. They'll have people get up and go to the front. At, and and they're, they're believers. They're not going up there to become Christians or be saved or have faith in Christ as a son of their faith in Christ. They're just going up there to get more people to come, to get them to feel more comfortable. That was a controversial one you didn't ask me, the invitation. Oh, I, and yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that, but that kind of, we you know, we got yeah. a little... So, speaking of that, what are your thoughts on the invitation? And let's define the invitation, what you mean by it, okay. and are there any forms I of it? that There's
1: two different definitions with invitation? Okay. okay. You have a invitation, a general invitation, a call for the person in the congregation, all the people in the congregation to believe and repent, right? Right. Specifically, uh, those that have uh, not received Christ. We're calling them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, sure. to repent of their sins, to uh, follow him as Lord. That is an invitation.
0: Right, right.
1: Within the within the sermon, uh, even within the gospel shaped liturgy, which we don't have time to get on that that rabbit trail, but I I would encourage you to look up the gospel shaped liturgy or the Isaiah six liturgy. Um, mm,
0: Isaiah
1: 6. Because it's showing the gospel message throughout. The gospel should be clear, and it should saturate our worship services. Now, that's one definition definition of invitation. And I think that's clearly biblical, and it clearly needs to be there. There's another definition of invitation that came along with revivalism, uh, made popular by people like Finney, uh, later Moody. Uh, Billy, you know, Graham. Uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, yes. Uh, you know, Sankey, the, these guys. Um, that form of invitation is more of a comfort invitation. Some of them, uh, such as Finney, even replaced baptism with the comfort invitation. So we're now repl- replacing a scriptural prescription with an altar call. Uh, in, in the early revivalism, they would even have the anxious bench. Finney would talk about the right. anxious bench, yeah. and it was a way of trying and pleading with people to come to Christ by making them so terrified of uh, what was, a, you know, of their lost state. They would um, they would manipulate the passion so much; they were so terrified that they would want to. Become a Christian, right? Right. But that was the passions that were terrified.
0: Right. Um, Not their
1: soul. Right. So, but where... This is my question for the listeners. This is my question for you, Jared. It's where in Scripture do we see a comfort invitation in corporate worship prescribed? Where in Scripture do we see an altar call as the
0: the, uh, altar call or the anxious bench Well, I definitely don't see the anxious bench. I'll say that for a fact. Okay, (laughs) Um, so in Scripture, though, I will even allow you to go the broadest
1: form of the regulative principle, and we
0: don't see it.
1: Right. And this is effective principle 101 again. This is not even normative principle in my argument. Now, it's probably become more normative because it's a new tradition. Oh, yeah. So it's not aberrant now. So you could argue that it is the tradition of revivalism, that tradition, and so from there you could say it's normative, but it's not normative as what Luther would call Sure, normative. right. But is it just effective as in today's type of effective principle? It's not, it's an earlier version of the fog machine and the
0: videos. Um, videos, so what are you saying? Like, you know, someone, so for example, at my church, Graceview, they have like, as the pastor is walking up, they have like a little bit of a intro video to the sermon. It kind of gets people prepared for this. I don't see anything wrong with that. I would um, say no. I don't believe it follows You say through. no. Okay. It's not prescribed in scripture. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it inherently, but at the same time, I'm with you on the fact that it's not prescribed. So I wouldn't personally do it. Now, I will say this, though. Like... It's definitely well-intended, well, and right. it's, it's you know... And I think we also need to
1: understand that not every hill is a hill worth dying on. Yeah. I and, have, yeah. I, by nature, I have a dogmatic personality, but I've had to learn that not every hill is a hill worth dying on. Yes. But I'm also an idealist, and so what I'm speaking of on tonight is my,
0: what I believe is the ideal. Right, and I'm right. I'm with you. I understand so, that. Uh, and that's probably more for the listeners. And I over think time. also, right, it, 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 that was specifically for listeners. We yeah. talked up to hear, you know. Yeah. But
1: um, I think also a topic we've not touched on that is an application issue is what do we do with announcements?
0: Oh, that's a, that's another one I was going to get to as well if we had time. But, yeah, go for it. What's, so what's your – So
1: announcements, I don't believe there's a prescription for them in corporate worship. Oftentimes, churches will do announcements after the welcome, or they'll do announcements. Which is another question. <laughs> I mean, I guess the welcome is supposed to replace the kiss of peace or something. I, I mean, the, uh,
0: uh, yeah, the kiss of uh, yeah, the ki- you said kiss of peace, right. right?
1: That would have been the the greeting uh, between the uh, um, the the actual uh, people that were. Christians, the members of the church in the early church, before the uh, dis- or after the dismissal, they would dismiss the uh, people that were not actually part of the church,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they would have the kiss of peace. So it was kind of an early practice, but the kiss of peace was a way of fellowship.
0: Is that is that uh, prescribed in the scripture?
1: The the. Welcome or the kiss of peace? Kiss of peace. I don't believe it's prescribed. I don't
0: believe it's okay. prescribed. Okay. That's another one I was going to ask you about, though. Um, so going back to announcements, welcoming, whatever. Yeah. So
1: I think that it's not innately wrong to have an announcement, but the announcement needs to be before the worship service begins or after it ends and it needs to be clear that this is not worship. Okay. This, If you're going to have announcements... You need to be clear. Your right. congregants need to know the worship service has not begun yet. So if you do the reading of the... Say you do your... Uh, your um, God initiates our our worship scripture reading. Then you do the announcements. Well, you've already started the worship service and you have the announcements. Yeah. No, 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 no. Right. And I personally think if you're going to do announcements, do it before the worship service begins. Because after the benediction... Oh, hold up. Announce time for announcement. Do What? It just doesn't really work. Right. But it's at least not going against the regulatory principle if
0: if it's clear that the worship service is over, right? You know, I've I've heard I heard someone I forgot where I heard it. Someone just say just don't do announcements. Like I'm fine why, that that. As long as you as long as you I'd send like like out in see, emails
1: or yeah, something like that.
0: I'd like to see you know there's these letters. A lot a lot of people would would <laughs> a lot of people would not care much for that. They're like, how do I know something's? I mean, the thing is, is in my in. In my experience at church, like, people, like, they'll have videos of skits played before the service and all that, or even in the middle of the service during announcement time to get people to pay attention to the – I mean, literally, at uh, the last church I was a youth pastor at, that was a big deal. I mean, we literally had someone, like a media person, literally conducting these, you know, um, right. videos and stuff like that, which I don't, I'm don't. i not dogging on that completely. I just want to – that's what they were doing. That's so what I was a part of. I helped do some of these videos. <laughs> I remember doing a lot of them, actually. And, man, um, even still, people would not listen to them, though. Every week, I remember, I mean, pretty much, people people were not listening to them. I'm like, why do we even spend this much time and energy on it? Like, even from a pragmatic, <laughs> you know, this is not even a, uh, a regulative thing. This is a pragmatic thing. Like, Might as well not even do the... Yeah. We can... Let's spend more time in prayer and God's Word and counsel and all that, you know. And let's think of it this way. If we're going to look at, you
1: know, some of the main reasons to uphold the regulative principle. Right. One, and I think probably the most central here is God has initiated the worship. So he gets to choose how we worship. Right. He's given that to us in Scripture, these prescriptions. Two, when we follow the prescriptions of God, there is a grace that comes from that. And I don't mean this in some type of sacramentalism type of way. I mean that it's a means of grace in that when we practice what God has commanded us to practice with the right heart, then... There is sanctification that assures sure, through sure. doing these ordinary means of grace. The simple, ordinary practices that God has prescribed for corporate worship. And then number three, that's the liberty, uh, or the, the not burdening the conscience. We do not want to burden the conscience of the congregants. So for these three reasons, I believe that the regulative principle of worship is a... Uh, Ideal principle of worship for us to follow today, and, and like I said earlier, I hold to a stricter version of it than, than most of the others. I,
0: you know, I think um, I think you've outlined a very good case for it. Um, if I wasn't already convinced of it, um, you know, I probably I probably would lean that way at, at this conversation. Um, not to, to toot your own, your your horn at all, uh, or uh, cause you to be uh prideful, but just you know, it's a very good case. You made a very good case for it. Um, you know, before we go, one last thought. You know, there are different forms of the regulative principle of worship. You know, so like I, I'm gonna bring this guy up, um, Joe Thorne. Uh I have a lot yeah. of respect from Doctrine and Devotion. They're a solid podcast. Very, I recommend him. if you're looking for way better podcasts than this one, go listen to go listen to him. Um and, uh it's the Joe Fo, the Joe Fo um uh, uh, I'm not gonna say couple, that'd be bad. But uh, the doctrine and devotion, go listen to them. They're very good, um, and like their their church, they have a very uh, very clear liturgy. We all have a liturgy in our churches, but I mean theirs is clear. It's very orderly. It's very good. Um, I would, as far as I know, I think they do hold to the relative principle of worship, but more loosely than you would. Um, you know, so not, that's not taking a swing at you, just saying that it's loose, it's, you know, they have more contemporary instruments up there, um, they have a screen, they probably have announcements, probably. Um, but, you know, there are definitely different forms of this and different ways people think this out, think this through. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if I was a pastor of a church, I'd probably lean more towards the Joe Thorne relative principle worship that how they work it out that's how I would personally work it out closer to them Um, not all the way I mean we all do things differently as far as you know um, but you know if I was starting a church that's probably how I would do it is close to that I wouldn't have just an organ or just a piano and a person just singing up there Um, but you know I would say that um, I would try to be more cautious you know definitely I would try to where I would typically put the line, I'd probably bring it back a little bit more just to be safe, you know, um, and so. I think that when you're talking about um,
1: this analogy, I think will help the listeners to better understand the different levels of the regulatory principle. If you think of a target, mm-hmm. you know, you have the, the center circle, right, and then you have these lines. hmm well, I look at those lines, the innermost lines, as being the strictest form of the letter principle, right? So, Baptist, especially when it, we look early Baptists, yeah, not the, the vast minority of Baptists today, but the early Baptist upheld a very strict form, a very narrow line in this target of right. lines, where the early uh, Puritans and early Presbyterians, they held a little broader view. Right. That's the reason they would bring in practices from the Old Testament and uh, and the, the, their understanding of the, uh, of the way circumcision leads into baptism, right. baptism, sprinkling these different things in form. So they're a little broader but it doesn't mean that they don't uphold a respectable view of the regular sure, principle. They do. Yeah. Then, then it keeps getting broader and broader and broader until finally it's no longer the regular principle. Right. So for example, uh. John Frame likes to claim that he upholds the regulative principle. His definition of the regulative principle is how I would de- is very similar to how I would define the normative principle. He has went in my opinion
0: a little too far. He has
1: went outside of this target. He missed the target, and so he's no longer upholding the regulative principle. Yeah, I have one of his books somewhere. Over to John Frame, So I think that's yeah. some more toes
0: that I probably stepped on. If you're some of your listeners are, uh, John I doubt, train, them, well, some of them might know who it is, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we probably need to wrap it up. It's, it's yes. pretty, it's like two. Oh man, we're hours. <laughs> this is crazy. It's all good though. Um, you know, I've had, I really enjoyed this. I'll have to have you on, on back and so you can, um, condemn my metal music listening uh, well, <laughs> no see folks this is a good example I did not know me and him were going to disagree it caught me off guard but we had a good respectful conversation we're brothers in Christ we can disagree on a secondary tertiary issue and, you know I don't even know if I would say it's an issue but anyway um, <laughs> um, but we can still disagree and talk this out and you know do it, do it that way so hey that's another good plus for this conversation I did not know but go ahead.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me um, on your podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to discuss what I believe are very important issues of worship that we all need to think through. Right. Um, I would encourage you, when you're posting this, to maybe even put marks
0: on the different discussions so if people want to, I <laughs> kind of, you know, I kind of <laughs> let, let them, <laughs> I, I kind of let them discover it. But I will put that we we yeah. talked about other things for sure. But um, but anyway, thank you for coming, and um, you know. I, I pray that the Lord blesses your uh, ministry as you continue to, I know you're uh, seeking out God's will and his uh, plan for you as you look to minister to the church. I think so. Thank you, brother. And are you, you're, are you, you're not, uh, you're at um, faith, faith community. Right. Okay. So I've heard good things about faith community. Um, I haven't, I haven't tried, I haven't haven't went there, but I'm, I'm at grace View now. So you can't, you can't steal me, man. (laughs) Um, But anyway, well, thank y'all for, for, joining us as we discuss the regulative principle of worship if you have any questions shoot me up um, hit me up shoot me up <laughs> hit me up <laughs> sorry about that hit me up you know email me or uh, just message me on Facebook that's the easiest word text me if you got my number um, and John's on Facebook um, you know if you really want to get I don't know if he you know adds people he doesn't know but um, Sure, you can just message him if you want to anyway. If if you have any other questions, I mean, he's a really good guy to talk to about this because he's very like, this is his view, you know, right? The relative principle of worship that's his view, that's what he loves to focus on, and that's you know, I think he knows more about it than most people I know anyway. So, um, definitely recommend him. Now, as far as resources go, you know, um, I don't know any good books specifically on the relative principle of worship. There is one good book. Um, I've heard that it's good. I haven't read it personally, but it's uh, Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns.
1: Yeah, it's a good book.
0: Um, is there, I mean, is that kind of a relative principle of worship?
1: Um that's more, to, once again, you're talking about primarily musical meaning there, but also, I mean, he hits on some, some other things, but it is a great book. It's right. T. David Gordon. T. Yeah. David Gordon has an article that was in response to John Frame. So um, John Frame presented an article called, uh, uh, some questions on the regulative principle, right. And T. David Gordon wrote in response, some answers on the regulative principle. Um, uh, and so I would encourage if you're wanting just a, a, basic understanding of the regulative principle, uh, to look into those articles. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's also considered in, uh, Dr. Scott Annual's books I mentioned him earlier yeah. so yeah. You, you may want to look up his name and he and he talks about that go to religiousaffections.com um, I believe it is it's either .com or .org and that's uh, Dr. Annual's site where the, uh, him as well uh, uh, there's some contributions that will talk about the regular principle type in regular principle in the search bar and uh, there'll be a lot of information that pops right. up there
0: right Cool deal. Well, um, folks, I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, God bless you, and may the Lord um, continue to sanctify you um, and lead you and guide you um, as you live out the Christian life. God bless.